mini stories east of downtown. This week, we're diving further into the context of Edmonton's not one, but two Chinatowns through the perspectives of three guests. We'll hear from Sharon Yeo, David Holdsworth, and Han Long to understand how we got here and some infrastructure, cultural, and systemic reasons why Chinatown is facing the problems it is today. Hi, I'm Troy, and this podcast is Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 182. It's just my voice off the top here. Mac has taken off on a much-needed vacation, but before he left, he and I recorded three segments with three different guests to hopefully dive further into the context of Chinatown and lend some insights into why it might be facing the problems that it is today. And I'm happy to dive right into these mini-stories after the rapid-fire segment. This week, the Edmonton Journal shared a photo, tastefully captioned, Two Squirrels Hug at a Park something that will likely become the de facto euphemism because while birds are still plentiful, bees are increasingly becoming more and more scarce. The Edmonton Police Commission this week released Dale McPhee's salary, indicating that the police chief annually takes home $340,000, which is over 300% the median household income in Edmonton, more than 30% higher than Mayor Sohi's salary, and this final comparison to MacMail is redacted because he inexplicably chose a career in journalism, and that's punishment enough. Edmonton City Council voted to guarantee police funding remains constant despite the declining ticket revenues and to pursue a funding formula to manage the services budget going forward. Close watchers of City Hall have applauded Council's new approach. Said one critic, quote, Council normally takes two steps forward, one step back, but this new innovative approach of not going anywhere at all while screaming and waving their arms around while blindfolded is as unique an approach as funding police via formula is in Alberta. That is to say, no one else does it because it's a bad idea. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Is This For Real, a podcast about the various facets of black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show, Breaking the Blue Wall, host Omar Salafu explores anti-black racism and policing. It tells stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. And of course, you can also support the work of these podcasters and future seasons on Patreon. We could think of no better person to help us understand some of the background of Chinatown and get a little more context for all of the recent discussions than... Taproot contributor and my better half, Sharon Yeo, welcome back to Speaking Municipally. Thanks for having me. I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about your personal connection to Chinatown. So I am not a historian of Chinatown, Edmonton's Chinatown, or Chinatowns in general. Um, I'm a second generation Chinese Canadian. And my uh, family immigrated here in the early 1980s. Um, but I did not reside in Chinatown growing up, um, nor uh, does my family have deep connections to Edmonton's Chinatown like other um, Chinese Canadians do. So I'm coming at it from someone who has been involved in Edmonton's Chinatown as a volunteer for about 10 years now um, and have met many people who have taught me uh, some of the history in Edmonton's Chinatown along the way. And you've been able to share some of that history through the work that you've done, right? So organizing the Chinatown walking tours, Chinatown dining week, a night market. 
Why did you organize those events and, and what were they intended to do for Chinatown? So a lot of it has come from conversations with other people in my same generation who remember a very different Chinatown when they were growing up. And the Chinatown I remember growing up was one that was very vibrant. Um, my family would visit uh, Chinatown in the commercial areas, especially um, on the weekends where we would you know, have family meals together and do a lot of our grocery shopping. Um, you know, we always uh, would talk about the the, you know, vendors that were on the street, like produce being sold, you know, alongside smells that were wafting out the windows. And, and that's something that is not a part of my current Chinatown visits. It's a very different streetscape than the one I remember. And um, I know when I started to be involved in different activities to animate Chinatown, um, my hope was to sort of bring some of that energy back onto the streets of Chinatown. And maybe I've jumped the gun here a little bit talking about Chinatown, but what have you learned in the folks that you've talked to and the research you've done uh, about Chinatown's history? Actually, we don't have just one Chinatown, right? Tell us about that. So uh, the walking tours that um, came as a result of the Chinatown conference that was held in uh, 2016 um, taught me a lot about some of this history. So um, some people will know that um, the first Chinese person that was recorded in Edmonton uh, came in 1890. His name was Chang Yi, and he opened a laundromat um, pretty close to where the Edmonton Convention Center sits now. Um, and that is actually where Edmonton's first Chinatown sort of began. And that cluster of businesses that were there was actually demolished in the late 1970s to make way for Canada Place or where Canada Place is now. And so in the wake of that relocation, um, there were some plans to make way for Chinatowns located sort of adjacent to that area. And so sort of in that late 70s time, because of some of that uncertainty, a cluster of businesses did relocate to the area that most people are familiar with now, um, around the 97th Street area, which uh, we either refer to as Chinatown North or Commercial Chinatown, but also some of the more um, culturally oriented associations relocated to the 96th Street area, kind of between 102nd Ave and 103rd Ave, which we refer to as Chinatown South or cultural Chinatown. And so they are not far from one another in the sense that you can walk from one to another, but um, it's not necessarily an obvious walk. And that sort of lack of connection has sort of maybe um, just started Edmonton on that path of, of displacement, which is a history that, that has continued in more recent years. So Chinatown, as we know it today in Edmonton, was not formed out of a real positive thing. This was a displacement of the community that was there. Uh, and as you say, we've continued to see that. I mean, the Chinatown that most Edmontonians think about is North or commercial Chinatown. It is literally across the tracks, right? You've got the 97th Street Rail Bridge separating the communities. Uh, what are some of the other elements of Chinatown that have uh, contributed to this split or this trauma over the years? I mean, to acknowledge that the displacement has continued is sort of a small part of that story. And so, again, more recently, to make way for the LRT construction of the 
of the valley line, the Harbin Gate, was removed from its original location about 30 years after it was put up to, again, accommodate the LRT tracks. And many people in the community were very upset over that because they saw that as, again, another sign of, you know, the Chinese community having to give up something for someone else. And even the placement of the LRT tracks in Chinatown South, which essentially splits um, the street on which uh, some pretty prominent uh, buildings sit, including uh, two Chinese elders' mansions and the Edmonton Chinatown Multicultural Center, and divides that from the other side of the street, uh, which houses uh, several uh, cultural organizations and associations, um, was again sort of another blow to a community that had advocated against having the tracks located um, in an area that would again make it difficult for members of the community to get around. And, you know, it's pretty obvious when you go and visit the neighborhood that, that again, we know that the LRT is uh, important to Edmonton as a whole to enable different modes of, of transportation and, and building the city out. But it, it's really hard not to see how it will impact Chinatown in the long run. Yeah, we seem to see it again and again. I remember the conversation came up with the Royal Alberta Museum and what a great asset that would be located to Chinatown. And instead, it's furthered the divide. It's got this huge blank wall that separates Chinatown from downtown. And you mentioned Ice District. Of course, the Edmonton Oilers group has donated, we'll say, a bunch of money to Boyle Street to relocate their facility even closer to Chinatown. So displacing some of the folks that were in that northern part of Chinatown and pushing them um, further into Chinatown, where there's already a concentration of social agencies in, in Macaulay. So how are you feeling about the events of Chinatown recently? I mean, we've seen a lot of attention on Chinatown. There's money that council is putting into the area, some of it for hiring private security, which is a very short-term solution. Some of it may be for some longer-term um, initiatives. Do you do you feel any sense of hope that things might change in Chinatown because of this renewed interest? Or should we be maybe looking at uh, previous things for, for lessons we might have missed to prevent this from happening again? I think the hope is that people won't forget about Chinatown as a place that people can go to and enjoy on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't want to downplay the fear that people might have in walking in a neighborhood because people experience the streets very differently as an individual person who may have, you know, different things and different perspectives. But at the same time, you know, many people's livelihoods are dependent on people coming through their door and shopping there, eating there, patronizing the businesses in some way or another. And my hope is that people don't forget that, that, you know, there are families that depend on Edmontonians coming in and exploring and taking advantage of their business. And so my hope is that people will still continue to do that, even as council debates, additional supports and, you know, strategies are discussed on how to make the area safer and ensure more longer term supports are available for those who need it that use the social service agencies in the neighborhood that, again, people continue to visit Chinatown as there are many businesses that are well worth people's time. And we hope that they're still around even after 
maybe some of these supports are in place, which we know is, is you know, going to take time. Well, thank you for uh, joining us to give us a little bit more context on Chinatown. And of course, for all of the exciting things you do in Chinatown with Chinatown Dining Week, which I presume might be back again. Where should people go if they want to learn more about you or the things that you've been uh, working on in Chinatown? Uh, so all of the Chinatown Dining Week information, um, if we update it to bring back for a sixth year, will be on edmontonchinatown.ca. Clearly, physical infrastructure plays a pretty significant role on how a community can come together or, in fact, be can come together or, in fact, be divided. And in considering some infrastructure that can either have communities rally around it or be divided, we thought of no better examples than Harbin Gate or the Living Bridge in the context of Chinatown. And we reached out to senior planner at the city of Edmonton, David Holdsworth, to get some updates on in the context of Chinatown. And we reached out and we reached out to senior planner at the city of Edmonton, David Holdsworth, to get some updates on these projects. We wanted to ask you about a couple of other uh, sort of infrastructure streetscape type stuff. So one that I'm keen to get an update from you on is the 97th Street Rail Bridge, which has been referenced in numerous of these uh, documents and strategies as something that kind of divides older cultural Chinatown and the new commercial Chinatown and has also been a source of uh, disorder potentially, just the way that it's configured and structured there. We saw some exciting stuff with it a number of years ago when it was the Living Bridge. And uh, right. we had some some volunteers do some interesting stuff on top. But I, that hasn't happened recently. And it still seems like a bit of an eyesore, something that's fallen into disrepair. I assume you're you and your team are responsible for maybe at least working with the community to figure out what happens here. What can you tell us about the rail bridge? Sure. So I've always had a, a bit of an interest in this because it's the last remnant of the rail line into our core. So from a heritage perspective, I always thought, oh, this is a this is a unique remnant that we have. How do we make it better or recognize it? But I do recognize in the plans, various plans that we've looked at strategy recognized three concepts from ret retention to removal at the moment you know it's i guess visually in a poor state so we are working with ctc to explore options to work with qualico potentially because it's the, it's actually a private bridge that so doesn't actually belong to the city um, so i know people say well when's the city going to do something about it and i said well <laughs> it's it's privately owned but we, we do view it as a key piece of in infrastructure, whether it's kept or not, because it also is a big link to the shared use path to the east yeah. and how it would connect to 105th or the Columbia Avenue bike network as well. I know CTC are, are looking at options, and obviously they it's not their bridge. So I, I think the chair um, has reaching out and talking to Qualico, and I, I guess if Qualico receptive to ideas something probably or hopefully will develop. Well, there's another piece of, uh, I would say, a welcoming gate to Chinatown, and that was the old Harbin Gate, which was in the old Chinatown from 1987 to 2017 when it came down for LRT construction, and it's now in a storage yard somewhere. It is, yes. In 2019, when we were looking for updates on this, we had heard an update that the city was considering a replica, and that update actually came from you. So to our knowledge, we haven't heard basically anything since, and it's been a good three years since. So what's going on? Where is Harbin's Gate, and when might we see it again? The original is in storage, you're correct. So it's, it's not going anywhere at the moment. So when the gate came down, 
a delegation from Harbin came to visit the city and in consultation with the council and the, the community at the time, there was determined that the gate would best be relocated onto 97th Street, just south of Jasper Avenue. But in looking at this, the street there, it was pretty wide and the old gate would not span that width. So Harbin said they would be willing to design a new bridge. So they, they appointed an architect out of Beijing who's a specialist in the Chinese gates. We've been working with them to come up with a concept. We have a draft concept in place. The issue we had was funding at this stage because we didn't have funding in place to do something. Now we've identified the funding source as the new down, out of the downtown CRL, oh, sorry, the Community Revitalization Levy Fund. So hopefully in the fall, we'll, if we get council's blessing and approval, to issue a design build. So the new gate is sort of a replica of what was there before, just a little wider. And I, I don't know if you've been down to 97th Street recently, next to, to Jasper Avenue. Yeah. But as part of the Jasper Avenue new vision improvements, we, we sort of snuck 97th Street into it, managed to narrow it down, put some significant landscaping in, but a landing spot for the new gate. So this will go across 97th Street? Is that what you're describing? That's correct. Yep. Okay. So if you go there, you'll find an area set back with red bricks, like a sort of little plaza on each side of the street. Yep. And the gate will land there. So there are actually footings underneath ready to take any structure. We just need to get a design build, work with Harbin's design team and the China Chinese Benevolent Association. And hopefully in the fall, if we get approval, we will build this gate. Well, not to preempt council discussion too much, but do we have an order of magnitude for the cost on this? Um, we don't at the moment. Um, you know, there was, there was a high level guess right at the very beginning of about 2017 about of about 4 million pertaining to the existing one and move on. We, we'll work with the community with the existing plans and saying, what's the ballpark? And then we'll issue a proposal call saying we have X amount of dollars. Let's see if we can design and build this thing. In the case where we do go ahead and move forward with the design and build, we still have the original in a storage yard. Is there a plan for what happens to that? So uh, not at this stage. I think the focus has always been trying to get the new one up first, and, and then we'll turn our attention to that. We would certainly, from my perspective anyways, nice to get it reinstated in and around Chinatown in some capacity or somewhere that's culturally appropriate or relevant. And then we'd certainly work with the community on this. We've done proposal calls before where we've had something in storage and made them available to anyone who's willing or able, such as the Alberta Hotel, you know, that sat in storage for 20 years, I guess. And we issued a proposal call saying we've got this old hotel in storage. Would anyone like to build it? So it's now the new CKUA building. Yeah. I think our preference would probably be to bring it back somewhere within the area, you know, Chinatown North or the old cultural area south. But we obviously work with relevant Chinese communities. And it's a great asset. And it's certainly a beautiful, beautiful piece. I mean, over time, there's been some deterioration on it. Uh, you know, some of the the rebar within it was starting to spoil. So we've got to get those things fixed and repaired before anything goes back up. Well, that's good to know that uh, things are moving forward potentially um, with the Harbin Gate. There's just a few other things we thought we'd get a quick update from you on. So the city has put out this Chinatown projects and support document in response to 
um, the letter from from Minister Tyler Shandro, and there's a few things in there that talks about um, funding packages for Mary Burley Park and uh, potentially making some changes there. Do you know what's on tap for the park? Um, I, I don't. Uh, I, I mean that that plan is quite new, so I'm not up to speed 100% on that. But I know Mary Burley Park has also been looked at with the neighborhood renewal. So neighborhood renewal is, is offering significant opportunities at this stage for the streetscapes and potentially in and around Mary Burley Park as well. So they're about to release some high-level concepts, I think, in the next month. Okay. And then the other big thing sounds like this Boyle Street Macaulay neighborhood renewal project, which you, which you mentioned, and that's for the next three years or so, I think, is is when that's scheduled for. So it, it is. Yeah. And what kinds of things would be in that project? So as I mentioned, it's you know, typically neighborhood renewal does like for like, but I think they recognize the Boyle Macaulay neighborhoods are so unique because they have three business areas. And, you know, there's Little Italy, Chinatown, the quarters, which is part of the downtown as well. There's Church Street. So there's a lot of historically unique spaces here and places. As they advance it, we're working with them, working with the BIA, sorry, the Business Improvement Area, the Chinatown Business Improvement Area, and CTC on trying to get some of these physical improvements identified in the various design plans in place. And it's a matter of them going to council and saying, are these things that we can fund or are able to fund? And so we're working through them slowly with the community on prioritizing, you know, if we had a wish list of we can't get them all, what would our priorities be? While physical infrastructure certainly contributes to the shared trauma that the Chinese community faces in Chinatown, it's, of course, not the only cause. With all of the discussion recently about the events in Chinatown and, of course, the need for a safety plan and a response to Minister Shandro and other things, we thought it would be good to talk to somebody who's been really involved in supporting Chinatown, a member of the community. And so we're very excited to welcome Han Liang to the show. He's the chair of the Chinatown Transformation Collaborative Society. Ni hao and welcome, Han. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ni hao. Okay, I want to start uh, first by asking you about council. A couple of weeks ago, you spoke at council uh, on behalf of uh, the families of one of the men that was tragically killed mm-hmm. in Chinatown. It was Really great to hear you uh, represent the family and to share the important thoughts that you did. And uh, I'm just curious how you're feeling about that now. Do you feel like you and the community were heard by council? You know, when you ask me how do I feel right now, the community is still very, 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 very much in pain. Right. I mean, there's de- definitely a lot of tears that are still being shed, a lot of mourning that's going on. Um, it was just so difficult today. I, th- I don't think I've ever been in a funeral that difficult. But when you talk about you know, how the city's responded. I think it's extremely positive that we live in a city like Edmonton where we have leadership um, in Mayor Sohi and his counselors that really has shown us that we do have a partner, someone willing to, to talk about anti-racism, how that affects our community and our businesses, um, and how we can work together to address some of these longstanding issues. So I think overall, you know, the path that we've set on this course as frenetic as it is, it is a lot of catching up to do. And I think the mayor and the leadership, again, at City Hall has shown us that they're ready, willing, and able to to have these very difficult conversations. So you are chair of the CTC, uh, Chinatown Transformation Collaborative. And this was an organization that council 
uh, formed to help implement the Chinatown strategy that was approved in 2017. I wanted to ask you about the formation of it. It's sort of something you mentioned is something that I've been thinking about, right? That there, mm-hmm. you know, were folks who were involved early on because they were on the task force that uh, that helped bring the strategy forward and led to the creation of this. But there were already some longstanding organizations that remain mm-hmm. in, in Chinatown, right? Like the Chinese Benevolent Association, the mm-hmm. BIA, others. Why do you think there's a need for CTC? So it's it's very simple. Anna. Um, the CBA, like the Chinese Benevolent Association, is an association that has a long history in Canada, all, in all cities across Canada. So the CBA is basically the mother we call it the Umbrella Organization for Cultural Association, but truthfully, it's the mother of many of these other dramatic societies or you know, other cultural associations that would have broken off from the CBA. So they're more what I would call cultural association. Now, they deal with racism, anti-racism, deal with anything that's important to our culture and our people, not necessarily the business aspect of it. They have had to do that work in the past, right. but primarily their focus is on the culture. And, and then the BIA is a focus on the businesses. Even within the BIA mandate, it doesn't necessarily include landlords. Okay, so something even as simple as that distinction creates a bit of a lack in service, right? When you discuss things like neighborhood renewal, sidewalk expansions, who speaks to that? Is it just the BIA? Is it the cultural associations? In fact, it belongs to the community. And that community includes businesses, cultures, and everyone and the residents. And so the CTC really was an organization that was started through the work of the CBA, through the work of members from the BIA and and other youth members to address some of these pieces that fall between the cracks. Um, and then and then in certain situations where, you know, the BIA normally takes care of economic recovery, but they've had to focus a lot of time on safety and security. Well, then that's a piece that we will then pick up and we will start to, to take on because, of course, resources are limited. And the CTC, by virtue of being in a city with, again, leadership that really believes in in retaining and encouraging the culture that we see in Chinatown, they, they've set aside money. I think that was about $800,000. Right. That was um, provided to us uh, a few years ago. So that's a that's a huge gesture of goodwill that you don't really see in other cities as well. So so that's that's kind of where we where we came from. That makes sense, and I can see that need for a, a more all encompassing big tent, right, for the Chinatown community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, feeling very supported by council and how we feel very lucky to live in a city with uh, you know, the mayor, his leadership, and, and, and councillors. I'm wondering about administration. What is the relationship between the CTC and the city itself? And do you think the city is doing enough for Chinatown? Do you think they should be doing more? That's like one of those questions where you kind of get into trouble sometimes. I, I know what you're trying I to understand. ask me, but it's, yeah. it does feel a little bit of what we complain about, which is finger pointing. Okay. You know, we complain about, you know, we, we point fingers at the province, po- province points fingers at the city. And, and there's just there's this game that's being played. You know, truthfully, I think the situation that we have with administration here in Edmonton has less visibility, like on their radar, I feel. I, I, I don't know why that is. Perhaps it's because maybe we don't, we've never had that leadership uh, within our community that would actively develop partnerships with the city. You know, when I think about partnerships with the city, I look at the Downtown Recovery Coalition yeah. as being a really good manager of those kind of relationships. And I know that as being part of that, there's regular conversations where they'll engage one another and they refer to one another as as experts in their respective fields. Chinatown, I don't know if this is politically correct to say, 
but maybe Chinese or Asian people have always been looked upon as good workers, but not necessarily good leaders. And I think part of that, you know, sometimes you you look at your 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 background and, and your your community, and I think by and large Chinese people have not been able to rise in political positions, you know, leader positions within the city, and it doesn't matter if it's police or or as a judge or a doctor or there's a bit of a misconception that Chinese or Asian people are are not leaders. And I think maybe because of that, we, we have difficulty getting time and FaceTime from, from our city administration. You know, we, we also have to make noise. And yeah. in the Chinese community, um, you can't always say that administration is not coming in and knocking on your door, asking you, what can I do for you? I think sometimes that involves you knocking on their door and saying, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And we'd like for you to take care of some certain issues we have in Chinatown. So there's a bit of both, I think. That makes sense. In 2010, the city's uh, Macaulay revitalization strategy was passed, and it talked about community safety in Chinatown. It talked about things like pedestrian lighting, public washrooms, Mm -hmm. zero tolerance for drugs. You know, there was these Chinatown conferences that Edmonton held in 2013 and 2016. They talked about Mm -hmm. it again the strategy, the economic development plan, 2016, 2017, talk about the importance of community safety. I'm wondering why you think that we've not been able to move the needle on this. Why for more than a decade now have we been talking about the need for community safety in Chinatown and yet we find ourselves in this same position? Do you think it's about that leadership gap? Do you think it's about the finger pointing? Is there another factor? Yeah, I think there's something deeper than that. You know, but I think even when you think about the word Chinatown, it really kind of sums it up. You know, we used to call it Tang Gai. That was kind of like the the dynasty, the Tang dynasty that was around when a lot of this diaspora was happening to, to Canada. But the word just basically says Tang people street. Okay. And it was more about a street that, hey, if you go to Tang Gai, you're going to see a lot of businesses um, that are of Chinese background. But the word Chinatown itself is not created by Chinese people. It's created by, you know, Western yeah. civilization, right? That it's kind of like an area where you can herd Chinese people and that's where you can find Chinese people and that's where they belong. Right. Is unfair, I think, right? Is that it's you are not to be herded. We are to be amongst all cultures and races in, in Canada. That we've always had a firm place in that culture. Is why p- perhaps Chinatowns are not, they're not respected areas of belonging. There's a very, very intertwined intergenerational trauma that we all share coming to Canada, not really know for Chinese or Canadian, and then having that history itself being rewritten by other people. You know, there, there's there's something there that has, has turned Chinatown into a place that can be moved and is not important. Chinatowns are not valuable. They can they can destruct. And if they destruct, They'll just be resilient and they'll move into another new place and call that new place Chinatown again. And if that happens again, they'll continue to move. You know, I think if you were to ask Little Italy to just get up and move, you might have a different response than the one that you've seen in Chinatown. Right. Right. So I, I don't know. It's it's a very, very difficult question, but I, I don't think it's as simple as saying, hey, you know, we didn't have social agencies. Hey, we didn't have this or this or this 10 years ago. Now we have a 10. Now we have it. And. And now we have this problem. I think this is a problem that literally sets its roots back into the 1800s. Right. You know, before we can even call Canada, Canada. I think it's a very important point. This constant othering is perhaps a more fundamental root cause. 
how do you feel then about what the city has announced recently with the $300,000 that Councillor Jennifer Rice brought forward uh, and council approved, the million-dollar recovery fund that the city uh, has announced for Chinatown, um, you know, some of the, the other safety measures they've uh, announced with increased boots on the ground and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think these are band-aids? Do you think they're just overlooking these root causes or, or does it give you some hope that we're on the right track now? I think it's signaling. Right? I don't think 300000 or $1 million is going to fix what we have in Chinatown. I think, right. you know, I think that money most likely is going to be used towards some immediate short-term things that we've been successful at, like this private security program that we've been, you know, I, I feel like the community has a better sense of control over their community by having this private security versus being able to phone police. Um, so it's just a continuation of this private security program that we've already had to address the problems that we see in Chinatown. The million dollars to me is probably going to be used for planning the next step. At least that's what I feel it should be used for. And it is from the Vibrancy Fund. Yeah, There's a wide range of um, applications for that money. And maybe, yeah, maybe you can call it a Band-Aid. But again, like if we consistently talk about gestures of goodwills, like they're Band-Aids, then that's how you create an environment where people don't want to help one another. That's how you create an environment that is not inclusive for people to want to care about your issues. And we don't want that. I think everything that we're talking about is how do we maintain this momentum? How do we ensure that we're, you know, that we're not forgetting them, but still doing it in a respectful and partner, a way that collaborates with others. What is the sort of takeaway that you'd like to leave listeners with? What should they know about Chinatown as you're moving forward? I'll say two things. I think my mother was the one that told me that she says, you're a mother is only ever as happy as the most saddest child. And I think if you think about the city of Edmonton being that mother, you would see Chinatown as being that one most saddest, unhappy child. If we want to be a family in this city, we have to take care of everyone, not just our own, everyone. That's what we have to do in order to lift up this city and make it, you know, maybe not the fifth best city, but the the best city in the world. Or not the, the safest city by 2030, but the safest city in the world by 2030. I think when we realize that Chinatown is, is like a wound that we all have. And then that, that, is, that is part of that road to recovery and, and being a better Edmontonian and being a better Canadian. You know? And then the second thing that I, a quote that I've been thinking about a lot is a Chinese quote where they say, um, in a country well-governed, poverty is something to be ashamed of. Okay, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because now you're taking care of your, your most vulnerable. But... In a country not well governed, wealth is something to be ashamed of. And so maybe this is maybe controversial, but you look at everyone celebrating and, and enjoying this hockey and everything's great. Yeah. But you look at what that represents and the level of attention the city has given towards that event or certain people that enjoy those events. It it makes you think twice. Is this really where we we as a society want to put our attention and our love and our and our resources towards? Or are we just doing that because of few chosen people that we want to continue to help, to protect the wealthy? I think you, you spend some time thinking about that, you'll understand why Chinatown matters or why Beverly matters, you know, or why Abbotsfield matters. I think when you when you start to talk about that, then Chinatown is no longer Chinatown. It's just a place where Chinese people, Asian people, you see them. They, that's where they belong. If there's a message, it, w- it would be about developing awareness for those two things. You know, how does our government work? Does it work for us? And then as a family, 
if we call ourselves Edmontonians, do we care about everyone in our family? Very important questions and, and issues. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming yeah, to share some thoughts with us on Speaking Municipally. If people want to follow your work or maybe get involved, where should they go? Yeah, ctcyag.com. Uh, we also have an Instagram at ctcyag. Um, and then I, I think I'm going up for next gen. There'd be a talk I'm, ho- I'm hosting for at Picha Kucha. Okay. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit about this too. But um, I think part of that is my job. You know, I have to get out there. I have to tell people what's going on. I have to spread the awareness. Um, so yeah, look for me. I'll be out there talking <laughs> about these items all the time. Well, thank you for doing that work. And, uh, and thanks again for coming to talk to us. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Alberta business owners are oh so busy. And managing benefits can be quite a tizzy. But for dental, life, and disability, Alberta Blue Cross works just swimmingly. On any device, anytime, anywhere, employees can make claims for their health care. Just head on over to ab.bluecross.ca to get more information. Hooray. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Sharon. I'm David. I'm Han. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.